The FCC says that Ma Bell can get even bigger on this Consumer Goods edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, just south of the nation's capital at Fool Headquarters. I am joined today by the incomparable, the incredibly handsome Vincent Shen. How you doing, man? Thanks for laying on the adjectives there. I you betcha. That. Um, I'm doing well, Sean. Next week. <laughs> new ones. New next ones. Week. New ones. I just look at you and I think incomparable, incredibly handsome, all that good stuff. Anyway, Thank you. Uh, so uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, the FCC finally gave AT&T and DirecTV uh, clearance to merge. Um, it's not nearly as big as AT&T used to be 30 years ago, but still pretty big. Uh, so first and foremost, what are the final terms of the deal? Sure. So this is like a pretty long you know, one year plus. It's been a process. year, I was about to say. Yeah, um, a lot of these big deals, kind of like the Comcast process, even though that was unsuccessful, it's you know, Shot down one year, <laughs> one year or more uh, for the regulatory regulatory just overview and review. Um, final terms of the deal. So this ultimately amounted to about forty nine billion dollar purchase price for Directv, and in order to get that through, not surprisingly, uh, the FCC had quite a few stipulations, basically that. And a lot of that focused on AT&T with the combined entity kind of expanding internet access for certain low-income households, schools, libraries that are lacking good internet access. And so that was a a big focus for some of the concessions that the company has to make in order for the deal to go through. So was that all they require? Were there any other hoops? Like, what did the government say? Okay, do this, this, and this, and this, and you can do this thing. Sure. So here are the main ones. Uh, The the, uh, AT&T agreed to expand its high-speed fiber gigabit broadband access to 12.5 million customers, which is quite a big boost from its current base, uh, about a 10 times lift. Also, uh, they have to be able to offer discounted standalone broadband to low-income house- households. And again, they want to be able to better that serve. Was, Go uh, ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. That was a, uh, one of the things that the government would have wanted with Comcast, as I recall. They wanted them to do low-income type. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. That seems to be a big like focus. Like 10 bucks a month or something. Because yeah. um, you know, there are obviously some people had concerns about these two companies coming together, but they thought you know the competitive landscape can handle it, as and we are willing to make or allow the deal to go through um, if we have the added benefit of expanding. As long as you don't have to be a billionaire access. to afford high speed internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so another big thing is AT and T was a very vocal opponent to the net neutrality rules that were passed earlier this year. Now they're basically saying, okay, you know, we're in. We're going to abide by them. Let this deal go through. Sells so another concession, and um, you know, no discrimination against online video competition. No favorable treatment for its own streaming services, and so you know, those were basically the main concessions. Got it. Okay. So, uh, what does the new combined entity look like? Because Directv has ten or twelve, I think, satellites orbiting planet Earth, giving satellite <laughs> TV to. Uh, you know, subscribers and AT and T has cell phone lines and cable. Well, so you know, I look at it like each company is bringing their strength to the table. So, and they're ultimately bringing those together to offer this very diversified, right? So, uh, you know, portfolio of of 
service offerings. So ultimately, you know, AT&T has about 130 million wireless subscribers in U.S. and Mexico, bringing that to the table. It also has about 6 million pay TV subscribers, bringing that to the table. DirecTV, on the other hand, has about 20 million. So together, their 26 million pay TV subscriber base makes it the biggest in the country. Comcast, for context, has about 22 million. Right. So they're the big dogs now. Right. And that number grows to 45 million if you factor in uh, DirecTV's very significant presence in Latin America, where they have another 18, 19 million pay TV subscribers. So huge, huge base. Yeah. So one of my questions was one of the benefits of, uh, you know, it obviously got shot down, but, uh, you know, when Comcast wanted to buy Time Warner Cable, there was talk of huge cost savings because you got two cable companies. There's a bunch of costs there that you accounting all this stuff that you can probably just save hundreds of millions of dollars a year on. Um, that doesn't happen with this deal because you've got people dealing with satellites that are orbiting planet Earth, and then you've got people that are handling cell phone towers and cable. There's no well, I, not tons of overlap there. So, what can they do for growth? Like, what's the deal? Well, actually, you know, you'd be surprised because initially, you know, AT and T management said that you know if we can come together, if these two companies can come together, we can expect about one point six billion in Whoa. cost synergies a year. So significant annual. Hold on, and right. then before, is this accounting? Like, that's that's a lot of accounting. So <laughs> before the deal was even approved, they actually upped that number. You know, so showing that management's very confident. And they're kind of putting themselves on the line to to meet these estimates that uh, they use to kind of push the deal through. And so now they're saying that within three years of deal closing, they're expecting two point five billion dollars of cost synergies synergies annually. I hope they're not just firing people. Like that would make me <laughs> sad. Um, they're gonna. The main company is gonna be based in Dallas now. Okay. And um, otherwise, you know, there's just a lot of overlap overall. I think in terms of overhead, you know, operational, uh, you know, the fact that they both have these pay TV offerings in terms of the fleets that they need to service mm-hmm. households and things along those lines are allowing what them. What else? Call, like call centers, customer service. Like I'm trying to think of what else both companies do. So it's Marketing? Just, I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's a huge thing. Something else I think that will help in terms of reducing those costs is the fact that, okay, so now you have these two companies combined. They can offer this com- comprehensive, basically, connectivity package. So, for the few, you know, wired phones there still are, that's offered. Wireless service, AT&T has you covered. Uh, pay TV, you know, Good it goes on both sides. Yeah, and also, now you have broadband access. So, that is like the quadruple play, like, incredible... You know, optionality there and diversification for their offerings. Now, in those cost savings, because that just that sounds incredible to me. <laughs> so, incredible claims need incredible evidence. Um, what are they including um, uh, leveraging? You know, content negotiations in that two and a half billion dollars because I could see that. That's one of the huge perks I think for this deal. So now, you know, we talked about they have twenty six million paid TV subscribers and as the gatekeepers essentially to the consumers, they're gonna have a lot more leverage in negotiations. It's like uh negotiating with Walmart or something going in there. <laughs> they're gonna have a lot more leverage with the content producers and um the thing is content costs have been rising steadily over the past several years right. is one of the biggest items. Um and so being able to potentially trim that is again a That's really a big, big, deal, yeah. big benefit for them. And you know, just think about the fact that you know if you're signed up through AT and T for basically all your connectivity needs, 
you're much less likely to switch to a new provider. Mm-hmm. So that saves them money on acqu- uh, acquisition costs for new customers, right. less churn, and again, that all adds to their bottom line. It can help them expand their margins a little bit. And so, again, that's a a uh, you're making me sell. wonder if uh, Comcast is going to try to buy a uh, cell phone provider now. <laughs> um, and recently, you know, I think it was just yesterday or two days ago. You know, the first example of what AT&T envisions with this new company is that they made an offering. It's the first mobile like cellular TV package where it's $200, you get four TV like DVR receivers. This sounds amazing to me. Four wireless phones, yeah. 10 gigabytes of shared data, and it's all just $200 a month. And you figure um, uh, just you know basic cable packages, 100 120 130 Cell phones are hundred, hundred and fifty. For four lines, for four lines, you know, yeah. that's going to be hundred. I mean, this so, is this saves the average household. I would speculate fifty to one hundred dollars a month. So yeah, they're estimating about very close six hundred dollars in annual savings. That's pretty rocking yeah. for new customers. So again, you know, we touched on the, con- the ability to negotiate with the content providers, um, offering these crazy like packages, um, and ultimately, I think a big. A big uh, opportunity for AT and T, at least, because Directv has that exposure in Latin America. That was um, I looked very closely uh, back in my CG days um, at a uh, Directv, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure our listeners are aware, but uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is actually a shareholder of Directv and everything. And oh, okay, one of the bull cases for it, aside from it being a free cash flow machine that mints money, was. Um, you know, here in the United States, DirecTV has to compete with cable companies. And in most urban areas, we have plenty, you know, not plenty, but there's that competition there. Um, it's trickier in Latin America to install trillions of dollars worth of cable lines. Like, it's, okay, this is worth it. And that that was one of DirecTV's major growth avenues, was that people could just put the satellite dish up and we're good to go. Well, they've done very well in that region, and the big thing is, like, ultimately, especially for pay TV, like, the U.S. is a pretty saturated market. Right. Well, I think the penetration for Latin America is only maybe 40%. Right. So, it's a huge opportunity. And especially in the next couple of decades, as it continues to grow and everything. And, you know, these people, are, a lot of people there, because uh, DirecTV is kind of a leading provider in that region, now, all those customers can be targeted for AT&T's other offerings. And it's not like AT&T hasn't been moving into that region itself. It recently had a few deals in Mexico, about $4 billion, taking over like Nextel Mexico and things yeah. like that. Okay. So uh, this is The Motley Fool. We are investors. We think foolishly in long term. Um, what does this company look like? Is it a buy? Because we're throwing around very aggressive cost savings and growth opportunities in Latin America and all this stuff. What does the company look like? Do you like it? What do you think? Sure thing. So AT&T, the stock has been, you know, it's... It's not a. It's not like a high growth stock. Ultimately, a lot of people are in it for the very rich dividend, which is currently at five point five percent. So that's a very nice yield. Um, in the past the couple of years, yielding three two point seven something, something along those <laughs> yeah. lines. And you know the stock's traded in a pretty tight range over the past two three years, about between like thirty two and thirty seven dollars per share. It's currently at thirty five. So some people don't think that you know a lot of the benefits of this deal have not priced into the stock yet. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's some concern with that rich dividend yield. They were paying out about 80% of their free cash flow just for dividends. Right. So, big benefit, DirecTV is 
generates quite a bit of cash, so that'll help bring that number down, which not only makes the dividend payouts a little safer. You know, AT&T is a dividend aristocrat. They want to keep growing that. They've been doing it for 30 plus years, but also, um, you know, potentially grow those payouts at a a higher rate. With that said, you know, you also have to assume, you know, we have to caveat all these benefits, assuming that management will execute well on basically the new offerings, investing aggressively in these new offerings and those opportunities, but also at the same time trying to expand it to new markets. It's a lot of balls. It's a lot of balls in the air. And you got, this is not a small company. They have a balance sheet with hundreds of billions on there. Um, I, when this deal was announced, I loved that AT&T was doing it because, as I mentioned before, DirecTV is, it it was such a good business. What was its return on capital? It had a negative return on equity because they kept buying back shares and they don't need any equity on the balance sheet. So the returns on capital were like twenty six percent. So wow. if you have a balance sheet with a hundred billion dollars in assets, you're making two twenty six. Like it's nuts. And then um, so that that was just a hyperbole, huge number. But um, as I recall, uh, Directv had like free cash flow every year of like over three billion dollars, and they're just like minting money they don't know what to do with it and um i noticed that over the last three four years at&t they're still generating like what 10 billion dollars a year in free cash flow and they got that crazy yeah about yeah. there but that's down from 23 four three four years ago so even if they own DirecTV, which is arguably an awesome business with all these growth capabilities uh three is smaller than 10 so <laughs> yeah but it just it shores up the position right. um at the same time though uh you know, uh, there is some concern with the debt on the balance sheet for AT&T. Right. And the same applies because so they'll be all... taking over DirecTV's debt and their debt balance goes up to close to $100 billion. What's what's their total assets? What's like, what'll the ratios be? Um, I think it's about, for debt to equity, it'll be about one-to-one. Okay, so yeah, 50-50. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think AT&T will be able to ring better, you know, average revenue per user. It'll be able to lower the cost. Yeah. Hopefully expand their Well, that value offering uh, for 200 bucks. I mean, oh my gosh. Um, So, you know, that's all hinged on management execution and also, you know, being able to rein in that debt. So that's definitely a risk. Um, Overall, I don't think that the market has properly priced in the opportunities there. You know, this AT&T, I think, will be able to focus and get this done. And I think there's some upside. So I'm pretty bullish on this deal. Cool. Okay. Very good. Before we move on, I want to make our listeners of a very special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you have found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for all industry-focused listeners. It is $129 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from a team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And we are talking now about Amazon Prime and its new policy regarding uh, the number of people that are allowed to use the Prime membership. So I'm glad we can, uh, you know, have a quick discussion about this. Uh, The change happened over the weekend, somewhat subtly, for a company that generally loves very vocal. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, basically, in the past, with an Amazon Prime account, you could link up to four other accounts. It's generally supposed to be, you know, other people in your household, but it was not any real way to enforce that because both the payment. And the shipping like information was independent for these accounts, so you could really which sounds crazy, but anyway, your coworkers, (laughs) maybe some roommates, friends, all sharing this account, splitting the cost of the yearly membership. Now 
they're trying to rain uh, bring that down a little bit. So you can only have two people sharing the account linked, and at the same time, they're trying to prevent that. They want to limit that to be people actually in the same household by basically saying, well, both people in the account can use the credit and debit cards that are linked to it. So right. are you comfortable sharing that information potentially with a friend or a roommate or a coworker? Potentially not. And so if I um, if I buy something with my credit card with my Prime account, and I am a happy Prime user, um, can I still mail it to my parents or something? Yes, okay. you can. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's just having the actual linked accounts right. that were independent that were had all that had the benefits of the shipping, for example. Right. But now the linked accounts, you know, they get Prime Instant Video, they get access to the Kindle Lending Library, and you know, it's they call it the Amazon Households kind of program. And you know, true to that name, they are also allowing four kids or uh, to be linked to the account as well. They can't make purchases, but they get access to like uh, shared books, like a library, um, the, the video content, things like that. So that is the change. And in terms of, you know, a lot of people were wondering why. Yeah, that was my question. I was like, Jeff Bezos is now worth $50 billion. They're rocking it. AWS is minting money. Why are they doing this? Why do they care? So... You know, at first I you know looked at this thinking that naturally they're cracking down on this because you know the one thing that I think really pushed the outperformance for earnings most recently for Amazon was the bump up they had in right. their Prime membership, and the thing is by limiting the number of joint accounts potentially you force some people uh, to basically sign up for their own and they're really aggressive in building out their Amazon Prime membership because of some of the numbers that research has shown. Like They think there's maybe 45 million Prime members now, but the big thing is that, for the U.S. at least, for U.S. shoppers, 47%, Prime members make up 47% of you know, their, their shopping for Amazon. Right. So, you know, when you're getting $1,200 of uh, basically, purchases from Amazon Prime members per year, and only seven hundred dollars from non-members. They really want people to aggressively right. join, and that's the difference in what the total value of what people are ordering. Exactly, and so that's why you also see with Prime Day, they're rolling out these. Uh, they've always had these thirty-day free trials. Well, I, I loved how they lit- they just contrasted it with Black Friday. They want Prime Day to be the new Black Friday or something. And, you know, people signed up to try Prime Day for the 30-day free trial, and they're seeing potentially, I think, research estimating that there's a 70% conversion from those free trial memberships into actual paying full memberships. So, they're very aggressively pushing on that, and this is probably just, you know, part of those efforts. Making sure they get their cut. Um, Is sharing becoming a big problem with a lot of these online streaming services? Because, um, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we're becoming a streaming planet or country or whatever you want to call it sure um you hear these like rumors about how like technically it's a felony to use somebody else's netflix when you're in another state or something like oh what's really going on? I, I i don't know like you know you hear these things floating around well i yeah, i'm glad you brought up netflix because you know they are in a similar situation so people are sharing their amazon prime memberships a lot of people are sharing their netflix accounts and basically a lot there's nothing i love more than my friend's netflix password exactly (laughs) and so while netflix does i'm a happy subscriber and i pay money (laughs) while netflix does allow um 
sharing it's they do allow sharing within the household there's probably been a lot more of that you know outside of your household and you know there's a recent survey that said US and UK Netflix users um, indicate that as many six as many as 65% of them share their account with other people wow so you know right now there's supposed to be 60 about 65 million worldwide Netflix accounts the number of actual people who are consuming content through the service could be as high as 100 million or more right because a lot of people aren't the service, accounted for um I mean I get cuz it's like oh yeah sure I, you can use my Netflix but it's not like you know you're asking somebody to help you out with something that's ridiculously expensive like you know you're in college and you're like hey can I borrow a car this is something that costs 8 bucks a month it is not draconian yeah, but are you surprised, really, by the no, fact that people? No, I'm not. That, I'm just saying it's not like, hey, can I use your <laughs> cable internet Wi-Fi password? <laughs> so the concern is that um, you know, basically, Netflix and you know other companies with these online services are leaving a lot of money on the table, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars right. or more. But overall, the industry has seemed to shrug their shoulders and basically say, like, you know, we're aware of this, but this is not material for us. And in the end, is it really that bad that you're getting more and more people tied and right. more loyal to your service? I'm sure they're thinking that they're, they might be getting us right now, but in five to ten years, once they're addicted to Netflix... Then we'll get them. Yeah, and some of the research indicates that a lot of the sharing happens among younger consumers. And then so maybe become... as they get older, they're like, okay, I should probably get my own account. And right. boom, right there you have right. more and more people adding to your user base. Very good. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Vince. Thank you, we'll Sean. We'll see you next week. If you are a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Vincent Shen, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!